Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and welcome along to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to artists about the jobs that they've done. Turns out a lot of artists have had a lot of juxtaposing 
Jobs, we're on episode 86 here. I've had dentists, dancers for Spinal Tap, someone who names things for a living. It actually doesn't really end. And without spoiling anything, I've got to say Adam and Sam from Heights, the duo that I've got on the show today, have actually got some of the best jobs I've had on the show so far. And certainly one of the most interesting and kind of eye-opening in a in a far more sobering sense. We had a great chat a couple of months ago. They're two really personable, funny, nice guys. And I'm, and I'm glad that we got to chat. Their new single, Bad Tattoo, comes out this Friday. That's the 22nd of January. So go and listen to that when it's out. Thank you for listening. As always, some housework to do, which includes telling your friends that this podcast exists. You've got to tell one friend. That's the rule. If you listen to this podcast, then you have to tell one friend. And I know, I know if you don't, I've got that set up. So go ahead and text that friend of yours. Tell them there's 86 episodes of 101 part-time jobs with some of your favorite bands telling stories that you otherwise wouldn't have known. And then there's some bands here to discover as well. Cheers to Signature Brew. They're the official beer of 101 part-time jobs. You can go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk and get beers delivered directly to your house with the voucher code 101 podcast. You get 10% off. All right, here's Adam and Sam from Heights. Have a laugh. Cheers. I mean, these podcasts, I mean, they started off a in my experience playing in like punk rock bands like I, was just, I just found it fascinating what people did between tours and so that's how it started but it's now just kind of like a general conversation about you know your life and music in general and like the single that you guys have just put out um in, in the press release which i have downloaded and read um it uh, talks about how you know how, you, how you, you've got quite contrasting characters and from what i believe that is exactly the same with your with your jobs is that right yeah, I'd say so. I mean, even even now that we're in the band, the jobs that we do are quite different. And like, because um, being in a band is, is more than just like writing the songs. It's like, you know, especially now that we're like signed and stuff, it's like all the press stuff and everything else. And even in the room, like we're, we're, we do very different jobs. I talk loads and like do a lot of the kind of like ice breaking and say a million things. And then Sam will just hit it with one thing at the end. It just makes everyone laugh. And like, I think like those contrasting kind of like, like we both, are quite different at the same job even though we do the same job right now like we both do it quite differently um mm. but yeah i mean we we both had a history before we went full-time with the music we both had a history with bar work um and i actually i, I worked for a while when i moved to london to try and be a singer songwriter i worked in a brew dog bar which is like a craft beer bar so i had to pretend to be interested in beer and then when we bro, moved bro. <laughs> pretend to be interested in the, in the art of beer and the craft <laughs> of hops. Yeah, I know it was so interesting. And then when we moved to um, when we moved to Dundee, and I went full time with music. Sam, I, I kind of put in a good word. You know, I, I helped him out. Our it's kids. Adam got me my job. <laughs> it was Adam that got me my job single handedly. Just yeah. like you guys, like, nothing to do with me. Nothing. No. <laughs> and then I and then I took the I took the bat- baton, the craftier <laughs> baton, and I just ran with it, man. Yeah, I became a crafty genius. Yeah. Um, Brewdog's from Scotland, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's from Fraserburgh. Yeah, just outside Aberdeen. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and and they're a really, really cool company. They're so good to their employees, and the owners like come into the bars, which is quite a nervous thing because obviously, like, as someone who, I mean, I like drinking beer for sure, but a lot of the people that were there are like experts on, like, like Sam said, hops and the crafting of it. And I wasn't really mm-hmm. like that. I just kind of needed a job to like tide me over. 
Um, and the, the owner would come in and be like, test you and shit. Yeah. Like, it's quite, it's quite it's intimidating. Oh, wow. yeah. And he is an actually yeah. quite intimidating person. Yeah, yeah, because he's really smart and knows his stuff. So there's, I think there's two owners, but one in particular would come in all the time. Yeah. Um, was there a kind of impression from them that this was going to be your career? Because a lot of people are doing that for careers now. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely like an encouragement for you to stay in the in the whole craft beard realm. Like mm-hmm. there, all of it was, there were like promotional schemes and like, I don't know, you you got promoted on the basis of your like beer knowledge, which is done through a thing called like Ciceroning or like it's called Cicerone. And it's just it's basically like beer like, sommelier, isn't it? Beer yeah. sommelier, exactly. Um, and yeah. neither of neither me or Adam had the fucking the guts, the chutzpah, no, or like, the arseness. No, exactly. Basically, I'm not doing homework for a bar job, man. Yeah. Like that's fun. well, this is it, right? Yeah. You can't pretend to like. Come on, no. Yeah. No. And, that, and like, but yeah, but but the thing is, everyone wants those as bar jobs because they're the best ones because they pay you well. And and like I said, a lot of people make a full career out of it, um, mm. which which is really cool. And, and you get like a weird mix of people who are clearly there just for a bar job and people that like really take it seriously. So, um, did you kind of have to lie and, and sort of did you set did you talk well, about the music stuff? Well, yeah, yeah, but I'd, I'd say the lying is just fundamental in that kind of the world it's the same with the, being a musician or being in the music world is the same in this respect in the craft beer world you just half of it's bullshit yeah <laughs> like 100 yeah i mean I, yeah i remember my first when i when i like had the interview and the guy was asking me what my favorite beer was and stuff and i like had no clue and, I, and i'd lied i'd said like yeah I've, I've worked in like restaurants and bars before and he was like oh do you can i have like some references and i was like oh no it's shut down <laughs> And like they don't really do that anymore but i can see if i can get a text and he's like okay well why don't you do like a like a day here and see if it works mm-hmm. and i remember like the assistant manager was on to me he knew that i was talking bullshit so he came and like ordered the the hardest thing and like had me do a bunch of shit to basically see if i was real and i managed to by the like skinning my teeth scrape through it and then right at the end he asked for his receipt and i pulled it out of the machine the wrong way and the receipt thing flew all the way down the bar and he just looked at me like you're a fucking prick and then I did, I was like, Fuck off. so I managed to keep it for like a year, but yeah, there was a lot of lying went into that job. I think they they sussed me out about a month in, but at that point they trained me and shit, so they were like, fuck it. (laughs) Get get the pity vote. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Had you started Heights by that point? No, no, no. So I I started my like first technical job was like basically in kind of corporate performance I was in I was in like a theatre school when I was a kid and they paid me like basically nothing but they used us um for like uh, weird kind of like award ceremonies and stuff like that like me and and when I was like maybe 16 17 we would go and like sing songs and do dances because I was really like in the musical theatre world and I started studying mm-hmm. in the Royal Conservatory of Scotland I did musical theatre for three years and I was in a pan. That was it. Just before that, I was in a panto, which was my first like big professional job. Serious, serious. <laughs> I was Prince Charming at the SECC. For but they're good. They have to be good. The people. Were you on stage singing or dancing? Yeah, I was. I was Prince Charming. I was like the main guy, which was mental. But no, nothing wow. major. Nothing yeah, no, major. but the thing just is, Prince Charming. <laughs> Come on. See, That's see insane. in a panto, in a weird way, the main guy isn't actually the main guy. The main guy's really straight because you have like the the dames it, who's like it? the guy that dresses up like a woman. And you have like the, the buddies and stuff like that. So the main guy, it was actually quite a boring part. Like I just oh. kind of 
I had to be ridiculously handsome and amazingly talented at singing. Which you, know you I mean? are, bro. Which you are. <laughs> Very easy to do. Yeah. You always you always aspire to be like Christopher Biggins and the panto thing. <laughs> he is, is my hero, yeah. to be fair, yeah. yeah. Um all the all the all the kings have done panto, Jason Donovan and um who's who's the woman that's the queen of panto? What that was in East Enders? Um oh uh, you know my, what I mean Thingy Smith? No, no, she's got blonde hair. Barbara Windsor. Barbara Windsor. Queen. Ah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. She's the queen of pantos. So. And, and the chase, uh, um, Bradley Walsh. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> all the best. All the greats. Wow. So, Those are the kind of roles that you can only get hired for when you're like 40 anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's what people do before then. Yeah, yeah. No, but like that's the thing because pantos, you have to be really good. And it's it's like quite scary because you're the, the toughest audiences in the world are kids. Yeah, if, if you're shy then they will like not, they won't put up with it. They'll just like cry and like shout at you and leave the room. So it, it, it's quite difficult and it, it pays well and stuff like that. So I did that. That was the first job. And then I moved to London after uh, after studying at the RCS and that's when I got the job at Brewdog. And that, that is around the time, because me and Sam have always been best friends like, ever since we were kids. And uh, I was kind of starting to make music, like write it by myself then, but it was just kind of on guitar. And so mm. I got the bar job in London to kind of try and, like give, give me some money to be able to afford living there. I was living with my brother on his couch, so I didn't need to really pay that much rent, but it was still just so expensive living there. It was ridiculous. So yeah, I was yeah. I was working in the bar and I ended up working in the bar so much that I couldn't actually do gigs. And the gigs that I did, like being trying to be a singer-songwriter in London, in Glasgow, it was like a little bit easier because you get gigs and people would be like, oh, this I know what this is. In London, you're one of like 7 million people that are trying to do that, you know? So Yeah, yeah. and there's, there's, there is something that goes, I mean, obviously like any musician, if they care to admit it or not, there's you need to have a little, a little bit of an ego to go through with that yeah. and you, there, you can't help but feel like a tiny little fish in a massive pond oh, in London trying to break yeah. the ego yeah. is such a batter and like when I got into that course I was like I'm a you know like, like you say your ego inflates because you're like you know so many people try to do this and I mm. do it and then you go down and it's like no one gives a shit so mm. I, ended up like, I think what well, confidence is such a big thing in performing as well like it's pretty and my point being is like it's kind of hard to be confident when you when you feel so minuscule exactly. oh definitely exactly. yeah like and 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 the confidence is like you say, such an important part of like the talent. You can be really good, but if you lose your confidence, it doesn't come across. So people and people will see that straight away. You know what I mean? Hundred um, percent. And that's the whole thing about performing, especially when you're like playing a gig, um, and you're playing your own music. Like the only way to get good at that is doing it. And that's what we learned. Like when, when we when we first started gigging, we just gigged so much. But even before we released music, or really, you know, like knew what the project was, or we're playing songs that like weren't like that amazingly polished or whatever it's like we got really good at that first because we were like that's going to come in handy once we start really like trying to do this for a job so mm. um mm. but that's jumping forward a bit i think at that point you you didn't go to uni and you went straight to working in edinburgh right i did yeah but that wasn't my first job my first job was <gasps> gaming brother professional call of duty yeah yeah no way <laughs> <laughs> yeah when i was when i was like maybe 14 15 this is by the way this was before gaming exploded well it was still massive but professional gaming in particular like youtube gaming yeah well youtube gaming was kicking about but like i'm talking about like the multi-million pound tournaments for you know fortnite and all that stuff that wasn't really a thing back then it was just like you know us three little bampots sitting in our flat or not in, my, in our individual houses farting away on xbox for like days on end um <laughs> <laughs> and, and we did, like, honestly man my, my life it was in high school my life was like okay go to school 
get home from school, immediately turn the Xbox on, and then go to bed at like 4 a.m., get up at 7 a.m. You know, it was like my wow. whole life. That's <laughs> hustle, bro. That's a hustle, bro. I'm, <laughs> I'm a hardworking guy. <laughs> Uh, and where was that? was that coming from a place within you that was like you were just loving it and you were just kind of obsessed with it or did you felt like you like had to do it i think i i mean i didn't i don't feel i didn't feel like dutiful or anything like that but i felt and i also didn't feel like i loved it <laughs> i think i think i was just seriously addicted to it i've got quite an addictive personality that i don't care to admit but i just that just took me man that just took me and it was all my best pals that i, I played with and it was just like it was, to be fair, it was super fun. Um, but we'd always we'd always get beaten by French people for some reason. It was always French guys that beat us, yeah. Yeah. But so you were getting paid for that. Well, I mean, look, I'm glamorizing it. We uh, in total I probably won about like a hundred quid over like two years. <laughs> to a couple of teenagers, that's a lot of money. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um but and I wouldn't really call it a job either, but, um, but you were working it like a job, like you were doing it every day. I was clocking in, clocking <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Out. Yeah. Probably get paid more than most bands doing that sometimes. Yeah, hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um, when 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 Warner came to us with a contract, I was like, "No, I'll give you a contract. I'll pay you money. Don't worry about it." How? Um, I mean, I, 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 you have a manager, I presume. Yes, yeah. Paul Smirnitsky, so, a big beautiful man. Is is your relationship pretty good? I mean, obviously you're going to say it's good, but I mean, like, how hands on are you? You know, with the whole process. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. It's like he's kind of become more of a friend he's he's a lot bit older than us and he's kind of got a young family but he first and foremost we kind of like to build everything off of like being friends with someone and like and, mm. and that sometimes makes the business a, lot, a little bit difficult because you're kind of dealing with a friend as well but i think with a manager in particular like we've got such a good relationship and he's like one of our best mates and he's so involved in every aspect of the band you know he's like basically a third member um, right, and, and that's he has to know everything. Like your manager has to kind of know everything, right? Yeah, mm. and especially now that we're signed, there's like a, a team of people kind of working on us or for us. So, and I think sometimes their job just naturally has to be, like, not against us, but like in, in a sense, yeah. Like you know, we're gonna have disagreements, and and he, so and I think rightly so. And this is one of the reasons we respect him. Sometimes he takes their side. No, actually, I think he says, you know, I think they're right, and that's mm. when and I think that's good. I think like surrounding yourself with sycophants is like one of the worst things you can do. It's sometimes quite easy to not realize you're doing it because you naturally gravitate towards, especially in this business, the people that tell you you're great and and stroke yeah. your ego because that's not that's just how you want to feel. But I think he's yeah. he's not that, and that's really important. Totally, and and their experience in it, um, you know probably surpasses yours yeah <laughs> Paul, Paul in particular has, has experience is absolutely mental 100%. like besides the fact that he's old as fuck he's um he's worked for <laughs> no i'm just joking he's not um he he, he was the di- head of digital for sony for like universal for universal so i'll probably just set a hex out on him for that um, <laughs> but yeah he's he's worked in the industry for years and years and years and years and now he's like for some reason he's like given his time to us so we we're so grateful yeah. that he's on board with us because yeah. he's a genius and he's so well versed in everything at what point did he come on board with you well this is, a, this is another <laughs> another good thing that he doesn't like to remember as a manager but actually is one of the reasons that we love him so much is that at our very first gig he was invited along and he passed on us he went for the band that went on after us which were friends of ours and he started managing them instead and we were like oh shit because we were kind of build one of the guys we were working with at the time was like you know he's he's a big deal if he takes you on as as your manager then it's going to be really good and he mm. didn't and we were like oh shit 
But it was our very first gig. And to be honest, we were pretty shite at that point. Like we, we just, it was our very first, I think there was raw stuff there, mm. but the first time doing anything, you're never, you, you're going to learn more than you're going to be good at it. So it wasn't until we went away and did a couple more songs. We hadn't released anything yet, but we kept kind of sending stuff as we, and then one of our singles that ended up being our first single, it's called Butterflies My Head. It's actually not on Spotify anymore. It's only on YouTube. But um, he loved that song and was like, right, I'm on board and kind of got involved. And that's when my brother kind of helped manage us for a little while early on as well. He he has like some um, experience in the music business and we kind of like to keep a family and stuff like that. So the, the, their major thing, we for, for a while had just been like, like for years, maybe two or three years had been working with the same group of people, a guy called Gary Clark and Alison Clark, his wife, uh, who are like a songwriting and management team and we've been working with them i i've done a little bit of work on a film called sing street with gary um that he, yeah. he wrote all the music for and i did a little bit of work there and then he basically said because he knew that i, I like kind of acted and sang and danced he wanted to make a film of his own and he wanted me to be kind of be the star because he's like we can write it all together and that kind of fell through because we realized you need to fucking millions of pounds to do that so we didn't have that so we ended up with all these kind of songs we'd written for that that started kind of becoming the height songs because we were like you know four or five of these are really really good uh, even out of context of the film and I've been living with Sam and that's when Sam kind of joined the project of Heights and we started doing a little bit of gigs here and there and so we'd been like some of the songs at that point were like three or four years old and um, we'd been doing that space of kind of partially in a band for years because we've been doing the really honing our skills at writing and producing and all these kinds of things but not doing anything like the gigging or the marketing so mm. in some aspects we were really far ahead and in some aspects we were still really new to it uh, which yeah, I understand. kind of like helped us I think because by the time we were coming to all this new stuff we had a bit of experience but um, the, the, their main kind of thing at the start was just you guys need to go out and do stuff start releasing songs start gigging you know like it's never going to feel like you're ready for it you learn by doing so I think that can be a tough thing for new bands because I think the biggest question is like, oh no, should we, should we try and get someone on board before we release things? Like, you know, you don't want to release things just in case no one hears it. A hundred percent. It's like, a, it's a really catch twenty two, isn't it? Cause you don't get people, we're kind of at that point right now where it's like, we've obviously got some backing and all this stuff, but we don't quite have the fan base yet that we can release things and not have to rely on radio or playlists, which is the dream, right? To like have a fan base that even if like, for whatever reason, you don't get on that playlist or you don't get on that radio feature that you thought you would, you still have that fan base of core, however many people that you're looking for, depending on where you are in the career, that are going to plug it and listen to it and share it. So, um, but you don't, I think the only way you really get that is through releasing music. And yet you don't want to release music and have it go under the radar or look like the kind of band that's got two albums out and no one's listening because that's a bad image too. So it's a really tricky line, isn't it? I suppose the good thing is that you can always take things off. I mean, this is the, the gift of the internet. Yeah. If you don't like a picture of you, yourself you could, or a comment, say you read a comment back that you wrote five minutes ago, you could delete it yeah. and not feel too bad about it. And I, I do that sometimes on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and it's the same thing with, with releasing music. You know, if, if no one hears it and you feel a bit like a, a wally, you can delete it and then put it up a few months later after maybe you have a fan base from gigs. Yeah, 100%. And we had a lot of experience with that with like one of our singles. We'd had this single for a while and we'd always kind of seen it as the main focus single building up to it and um we had a bit of traction we got on new music friday out of nowhere this is before we were like signed or anything like that and we were like holy shit so we thought well naturally there's a bit of buzz let's put out this single next this big one kind of strike with iron's hot and like nothing happened with it and we're like oh shit what mm -hmm. you know how, how has this happened um mm -hmm. and then it turned out 
But even though no one listened to it, that's what Warner's really liked, and they picked up the song and and they kind of asked us to like take it down and then re-release it with them. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we've had. Do you remember how you got onto the new Music Friday playlist? Because those everyone loves. I mean, even though no one gets paid for it, yeah. I mean, it gets it gets you a lot of play in Starbucks where they're putting on these yeah. playlists all day long. I mean, the funny thing is, we've actually found now that it can be as as detrimental a thing as it is a, a pro because. Like if the thing is with if you get on it too quick and people don't know who you are and the type of song isn't the kind of thing that people will just naturally vibe to, people tend to skip it quite a lot. And if it gets a high skip rate, that's something that's really hard to repitch to Spotify. If you come back, does that come into the stats? They oh, get the stats. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. If you're pitching for the next single and they say, "Well, look, your your song got skipped," and actually it's coming to weirdly and and I guess in some cases frustratingly, but in some cases that's just the way the world is. It's come to actually influence the way you make music. Now we've had like A and R's. Mm-hmm kind of say to us like well you can't you know you need to kick in earlier because people are going to skip this if it gets on new music friday yeah. and all stuff. You know, that's just mental how that thing would now affect the way yeah. the music is made and it's just really interesting yeah i suppose from your artistic point of view you're gonna have to like i don't know make some compromises but then in doing you you're gonna have to like try and sneak some into the radar you know infiltrate the system yeah 100 percent, man and, and picking your battles is the most important thing too you know because like if you if you give them if you compromise in the little things and you do four or five of those and then you find a big one that you're actually going to in the future regret, you need to be able to go, look, I'm really sorry, but I I, I am willing to compromise to call the evidence, but this one is, mm. is a no, you know? And I think it's a classic kind of thing, right? When it's like, we're, we're a pop band, but we're definitely more interested in making art than money uh, and having a claim rather than like fame. That's our thing. But then Warner's comes along and of course they want, they want numbers and they want success. Um, so it's that classic thing of I think they would just want us always to be a little bit more commercial than we are. We'd always want going to be focusing on the art, and it's just about compromising, trying to find the middle ground. Absolutely, yeah, I completely understand. And coming from your from your background in, in Panto, yeah. you know, when you when you were, I mean, you were making money doing that. That was your career. Did that put you on a kind of level where you were like, okay, you know, I want to go up, but in order to do that, I have to move down to London and then get a, maybe a bar job and then kind of work your up way another avenue do you think you like you had a bit more of a, a business mindset of it well I think to be honest that mostly came down to first of all I'm I would probably call it like a rebel other people call it a hipster I don't like to do what anyone else is doing so when I graduated with my degree and everyone was getting agents and going to London and trying to be musical theatre performers and, and getting all kinds of shows and stuff and some of them were doing really well most of people even even though it was a really prestigious school and stuff like that most of the people that were two or three years above us had gone on to like mass unemployment because that's just the way it is and I looked at that and was yeah. like I don't really want to do that but if I'm going to be an artist I'm probably going to be pretty unemployed in it even if it goes amazingly well but my whole thing was I, I want to do that writing my own songs I didn't really I, I loved you know the stuff that I got to do but I my whole thing was I just want to write music myself and I was getting really into that so when I moved to London it was more like well at least I'm going to be singing my own songs it's going to be a step down from like making money but I'll find another way to do it you know and um, yeah so that's kind of what it was but but after that year in London I, I was really like disenfranchised with like wanting to do it or even like picking up the guitar or playing a gig like it just seemed like something that I didn't want to do anymore because it had so many negative experiences with it so when Gary yeah. Gary Clark had the kind of pitch to see look come to Dundee and let's do this full time that was like a dream come true and it really was like he is a genius like a, like an old school master at writing and producing and I learned so much from him and even just being like under his wing in that way plus I got to live with Sam for the first time and, and Sam I think it had a similar experience like done a job for a number of years and then kind of realized that it was slowly kind of messing them up and, and wanted to a fresh a breath of fresh air 
I was going to ask Sam, what what were you doing in those kinds of middle grounds? You yeah. know, those 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 years after school. Well, I mean, obviously, I I got I, I was a little bit different to Adam. He you know he was kind of counting on not seeing very much financial success out of the arts and all that. But I I, I got a taste of money early with my gaming thing, right? <laughs> I got I got in there early, and I loved the smell of it. I loved the taste of it. I didn't want to let go of that. No, no. Um, but seriously, I was. Um, I went. My my entry into music was actually quite indirect. I wasn't. I wasn't actually like. I'm not trained in any instruments, and I've 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 always had a passion for music, but I've never actually like practiced it or anything. Obviously, I have now. But um, when I was younger my first job out of school was working in uh, clubs um which slowly moved into like promoting and like all this like taking care of djs and stuff like that um so all during that i was like surrounded by really amazing mental like off the wall people and i thought you're gonna say amazing off the wall drugs <laughs> well look look i'm not saying that and that isn't what either yeah. that, that wasn't like <laughs> no, I'm joking. I've never done drugs in my life. I don't know. Yeah, they're probably. Shit. Um, so I was doing that. I was doing that, man. But it was. I, th- I think the first moment I like really realized that I want wanted to make my own music was, and I, I can't say this without sounding like a complete arsehole, But I was sitting there listening to these guys play their tunes, and my head was going like, "Well, what if it went this way, or what if it did that, or like sing? I'd be singing like little melodies on top of it." So. I eventually talked to one of my pals who was DJ and he, I asked him, like, I, I got information from him, how do I start making music? And he showed me and I started producing tunes. And after that, I just fell in love with it. I like, I, I moved home for a couple of months and just like sat in my room making tunes like day after day after day after day. And like my parent, my, my dad, was be, my dad be, would be like, can you just like, do you want to talk to us for a wee minute? A wee minute? We're worried about you. I'm like, no, dad, I'm making beats. Off. <laughs> that's the gamer spirit we imagine bro. yeah and then like it was quite serendipitous um that adam called me like about two months m- moving back to my parents and um, saying because i first of all i moved back from a for, to my parents because I, I started to really find it quite tough in edinburgh it was all it was all getting quite incestuous and cliquey and shit like that and i i, I couldn't really be bothered with it. it was kind of driving me a little bit mental um so I moved back and like right at that point, Adam said, look, we are, I've got this thing with Gary. Um, how about we move up to Dundee and live with one another? Cause we'd always wanted to live with one another. We said that like when we first met when we were 10, like we need to, we need, we need to live with each other. And that was the opportunity there. So we did that. And then Adam was still working with Gary at the time. And I had nothing to do with that. I was just working in the pub being a beer genius. And, um, and he said like, man like what are you doing on your laptop and i whacked out some beats and adam was like look you're not just a beery genius <laughs> you're a musical you're genius, a musical too. genius yeah. too. No, no but that was that was what it was like i couldn't like the thing that i guess that me and gary had was like that kind of old school sensibility what what i think i i, I have is like a, a definitely like a talent in songwriting but it's quite old school it's quite like it's not very cool. And I think because I'm like really into musical theatre, my like complete experience, I mean, that is the least cool art form, isn't it? It's like jazz hands and panto <laughs> and tap dance. It's like, it's not cutting edge or like cool. Whereas Sam really had an ear to the ground and like what was cool and always had this kind of weird, like maverick, renegade shit going on. So as soon as I heard that, I'm selling you well, aren't I? <laughs> As soon as I heard what he was doing, I was like, this is the one thing that's missing from the music that me and Gary are making, because right now it's like, it's great, but it just sounds a little bit older than it should be, you know, and as soon as Sam got involved and started helping us kind of make it cool, that's when the thing really like took off. Um, But then, 
that's also when after about two or three years in Dundee, uh, everything started to get a bit weird. And like, we loved Gary, but Gary was really, really busy with, with his other jobs and um, still trying to kind of like be and as involved in, in the band as we were. And we kind of felt like, well, if we're going out and, and doing all and doing all the work, like we kind of want to feel like we're getting to make the decisions. And th- there was definitely like a little bit of like, we were immature and a bit arsehole And um, we decided to like we were like we we're, we're gonna move back to Glasgow because obviously we were like away from all of our friends as well so I think it was more like we just felt isolated and a bit shit and a little bit depressed probably and we were like we're gonna move back home and you know like just be close to our friends so we did that which meant that we were no longer working full-time Sam got another bar job I got a bar job and, and also started working in the rehabilitation in the prison system in Scotland too doing music therapy wow wow tell me about that yeah, man, it was it was um, it was amazing. It was like the best job I've ever had, and I did it for about a year. And then the company that I was working for had funding cuts, and I had I was made voluntarily redundant, um, which was a bit of a shame. But I wasn't the most important person at that company. There's people doing better work, so I was like, I'll happy to to volunteer and, and head off. But yeah, there was basically there's a company called Center Stage that works in East Ayrshire mostly, which is. Um, uh, kind of constituency and an area in Scotland that has quite a lot of rundown uh, places, Kilmarnock being the largest kind of place that we worked, which is one of these kind of fringe cities. It's on the fringes of Glasgow and it's got quite a lot of like, just quite a lot of like rundown, kind of a lot of broken people, forgotten people, people that slipped through the cracks of like society in, in a really bad way. And the government just doesn't give a fuck about them. Um, and there's a prison there too. And there's a company run by Paul Matson and Fiona McKenzie, who are two amazing people, both teachers who decided they wanted, basically they saw all the kids that they were teaching in their schools go on. And, and it was always the brightest kids that ended up in prison or ended up dead or ended up in these problems. And they're like, we need to be doing something to stop this, you know, and, and, and treating it before it's a problem, if you know what I mean, rather than being like, well, let's punish people. It's like, let's make sure they don't make the... the yeah, I, I think this is one of the biggest issues with, with creative people and school. I mean, and that, that completely applies to the prison system. Yeah. And I, also, it, it seems to me. Yeah. I, I, I mean, 100%. I, I've not, you know, I've had a little bit of experience there and I worked. So I worked with the with the young kids that were basically the kids that the schools didn't want anymore. They used to come into us and we used to, I used to teach them twice a week. Um, and then I worked at, mostly at the rehabilitation centre. So the drop-in centre for the people that we were working with that came out of the prison. And also it was a male prison. So we worked with women there too. Basically, mostly uh, adults that were dealing with addiction issues and therefore poverty because of those addiction issues. And I worked once a week going into the prison as well, uh, Pro House Prison. So I, I was... I ended up doing mostly kind of social work, uh, which I'm not trained for, but the company was just amazing and was like, we'll just, you know, we want, we want people whose hearts are in the right places. And if you come up against any doors, a lot of the times the people who are in the councils and in the positions of power would know how to stop you from doing things and would be like, you know, when you were trying to get something done, they'd say, well, are you trained for this? Have you got this qualification or whatever? And if you didn't, you had to stop and get someone who did, which really just slows things down. A lot of those mm. systems really are only there to just cover things in yellow tape. It's actually quite really like disgusting i mean the company was kicked out of the prison for like a year because we were half in the reoffending rates and because it's a private prison they weren't they weren't profiting so they like and they didn't even try to hide the fact that that was what was happening they basically said you're not allowed to come in anymore because you're you you're half in the reoffending rate and people aren't coming back and we're losing money wow which is just mental. T- 
Oh my, that's yeah. And when you see it like in front of you, and it's not even hidden. I mean, the only like thing I could compare it to is like when the Black Lives Matter movement happened recently, and then you see all these videos of of policemen in, in America doing what they were doing. It's blatant. It's like they're not even hiding it anymore. It's on everyone's Facebook, and there's just nothing we can do about it because they're in, in power. Um, it's, it was really weird. Like I couldn't actually believe. It. I thought I'd walked into. I'm stunned by that. Yeah, I thought I was in a George Orwell book or something. It was so weird. But um, so I did that for a year and yeah like I said most of it was social work but the, my main focus was on the music therapy so I was there as the kind of like um the music guy who a lot of the the company was centered around the arts and how the arts w- could be used as like a way to bring people together and it started off as like people uh, adults with developmental disabilities and I did a little bit of work there but um I kind of got carted off to the to the side uh, and into the the place called catalyst which was the company that mostly focused on rehabilitation and addiction issues and it was so so hard to like it was really sad and it was quite hard to come home and enjoy things because i would you know i, I had to make friends and i they mm. wanted to make friends these people that's part of the job and then i just knew that, that their lives through no fault of their own in my opinion they made some bad decisions but if you're dealt a bad hand bad decisions are all you've really got and mm. when i would come home and have nice experiences with my friends and my family that i had because i've had a really nice and fortunate life i just couldn't help but think but what about brian or what about you know sammy and what are they up to because right they don't have those things so it was quite yeah. tough but Man, it was the best. It was the best job ever. I absolutely loved it. And Sam, what was that like to see, like to hear about, you know, one of your best mates going through that? Well, I mean, it was it was amazing because I've never seen Adam so passionate about anything in my whole life, and for him to come home and you know be so emotional and impassioned by the stories of these people, he loved he loved talking about them. He loved, you know debating all of the problems and and the and the prison with the prison systems and all that it was so amazing and uh enlightening for me uh to be around um but awesome. yeah it was, it was yeah it was, it was great man and i'm sorry that adam couldn't continue working that job because he loved it so much but um it's one of those things that you'll you'll, you'll go to the grave with that yeah you? for sure and i think i think i'll probably end up doing something like that again whether it's you know because um like the band does well in this because when you're in a band sometimes there's periods of like on and offness so or like even if it's just eventually yeah. that's kind of where i end up because i think it's just it's it was just really cool man so how how have you plugged those gaps you know exactly that how, how have you been able to do that in the last few years well that only kind of became a thing in the last like but when we first when we first moved to Glasgow, maybe two years ago, I, I got in touch with Fiona, who ran the company, who I knew just from seeing her work and and being close to it because I grew up not far from where it was all going on, um, and said, "Look, if there's any way I can help, let me do it." And she instantly was like, "Yeah, and you come, like put me in at the deep end." And I did it for about a year until the funding cuts kind of meant that I had to go voluntary redundant, and um, I kind of made the decision under instruction from my boss and my direct boss who was a woman called Mel who was literally one of the most amazing and ridiculously good at her heart people I've ever met uh, she kind of said you know if you're leaving this job you should you should leave the job you shouldn't kind of be texting people and because that's kind of what a lot of the job was it was like off hours kind of support for people she was like mm. and in a way you know by all means remain friends these people but if you keep trying to do it you're not going to help yourself and you kind of need to let us do the job as well. Like that's our job now to, to, to provide that support. So um, yeah. I kind of decided to like leave it go and, and maybe just check in with them, see if their funding allowed me to kind of come back or or even to volunteer. But I did find that they were quite weird about, because I was like, well, look, I'll do it for free because I'm making money now off the band. And they were quite weird about their volunteer system. They try and keep volunteers because they only have a number of volunteers um, 
that they can accept due to tax reasons and things like that. They try to keep right. it for people who, you know, like might go on to have a job or could use it as work experience to leverage. Like basically the people who were trying to help. And I was like, well, that's fair enough too. I wonder if, uh, you know, for, for you two and for, for anyone who's an artist, whether that, you know, similarly, you know, you have the job, but then, you know, the job spec, but you also have the complete emotional side of it. You yeah. know, you can get knocked knocked back from a promoter or, or a Spotify playlist, you know, and that sucks. And then the next day there'll be some good news. The next day after that, maybe some not as good news, you know? Yeah, 100%. It's like such a, I mean, it, it is, it's weird, like uh, with the variance of jobs that I've done, like they're all quite different from each other, but they, they're all kind of the same. And not that I've done every job on, under the sun, but it's all quite like up and down. You know, you'll have great days, you'll have bad days, you'll have good moments and bad days. You'll have people that you, that you need to kind of get you through. You'll have, you know, like things that you rely on and stuff mm. like that. So it's all very, it's quite similar. It's just kind of existing, isn't it? And and Sam, after working in the clubs, was that kind of, was that a smooth transition for you? Um, Yeah, I, th- I think it was. I mean, it was... It was a bit of a shock to the system because I'm so frightened of people. <laughs> I, I kind of I'm scared of everyone, uh, and the thought of having to perform live was like in- incredibly daunting. And obviously, that was obviously on the cards um, if I was to join a band. Um, so that was pretty scary. But um, there's probably a really cheesy saying for doing stuff that you're that scares yeah, you. Yeah, do something every day that frightens you. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I just took that on board, wrote it on my wall. <laughs> And I shipped up to Dundee. Um, but no, I mean, it was a bit of a shock to the system, but I always kind of felt like I didn't really want to do anything with my life that wasn't, you know, against the grain or it wasn't fun and extreme. And I guess that was the exact opportunity that I needed. Um, but um, I, 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 yeah, I was unlike, uh, it's a little bit different. Adam was surrounded by like struggling people who needed, really needed help. Who were addressing that? I was in the nightlife industry. I was surrounded by struggling people who you're, needed help, who did not look for it. Yeah, yeah. You're what's the word? Um, enabling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, um, I mean, is that something you thought about at the time? I mean, I guess that's funny to look at now, but I wonder at the time because you know a lot of people have worked bar jobs and, and they do see like the fun side of it, but there's this kind of tinge of sadness. Yeah. darkness. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's people that look, no one wants to work a bar job for their whole life. And I, I don't want that to land poorly with anyone, but like realistically, no one really wants to work a bar job in your life. And a lot of people work it until they're a little bit older. And it's like, as much as you try and convince yourself that that's all right. I mean, I mean, it is all right. It definitely is all right. But I don't know. There's, there, there, there can be quite a lot of sad people and the sad, I mean, like, you know, upset people in, in the industry. And obviously you get a lot of regulars that are just a little bit too regular in these bars <laughs> and that's right. sad in itself. And you can actually like end up being a, if it's not like just a wall to, to speak at for someone to speak their problems to you, you can actually end up like having some really, really nice, deep, meaningful conversations with a lot of people that sometimes are having a bit of a tough time um and you know like sometimes you can offer them a little bit of help not only by handing them a pint by having a nice wee chat with them if you know what i mean yeah yeah i think i think we should encourage ourselves to do that because mm. it could it couldn't quite easy it can quite easily come across condescending mm. but you know that's not as important as helping your mate no i, I completely agree man and i would never want this subject to become condescending because it's it's a completely serious subject um and yeah I, th- I think that's something that everyone's slowly learning is that it's actually okay to talk about stuff it's okay yeah. to talk about things that are shit 
Um, like it's it's really easy to be around people who are being negative or they're being this and that but what you shouldn't think about is them being negative it's why they're being this way or that way it's like Mm -hmm. the reasoning for things and you should i don't know think a little bit about it (laughs) just think about it (laughs) sam and adam this has been a really really nice chat Your, your new single dream killers awesome oh thanks man thanks very much man and uh, really looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you so much, man. This has been so lovely. What amazing questions. And it's nice to talk about something we don't really get a chance to talk about very often. So thank you so much yeah. for having us on. Yeah, nah, Excellent. Glad yeah. you think so. Pleasure. Sweet. Cheers, then. Okay, Thanks great, so much, Charles, man. So there we had it. I told you they were nice. Go and listen to Height's new single, Bad Tattoo, out this Friday. Review the podcast. Tell that one friend. I'm, 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 I'm checking out right now. I know a few of you haven't. So go and do that right now. Have a lovely rest of the week. Go well. Cheers. Here is Coxparra to show you out. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every blink minute I've been on the go. Up and down the ladder like a fiddler's elbow. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.